We'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Pastor Dave and the Keene family are away on vacation. She asked me to fill in this morning, and uh, I'm glad they're, they're getting a, a well-deserved uh, vacation. But we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4. And let, let me uh, begin with uh, prayer. Heavenly Father, we, well, we do praise you this morning. We are thankful for this uh, blessed day. And as the, the kids had sung this morning, well, we, we love your word. Lord, your word is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we approach your word humbly, Father, uh, seeking to live under, its, under your will for our lives. Lord, we... Uh, Lord, we pray for uh, the situation in this world. Lord, we, we, we turn on the news, and there's much instability in this world, Father. And we think of uh, uh, what happened in France, Lord, and we hear about the evil, Lord. And Lord, but help us to see, Lord, still that you are sovereign, that any evil that we see is on a leash, Father. And you are above and over all things, Father, and you will work out your plan. As we, as we learned in Vacation Bible School, God always wins. And you do win and you will win. And we thank you for that, Father. Lord, we lift up the church, Lord, as, as many uh, have various medical issues dealing with cancer, Lord, and you know those situations. And we lift those, those members up to you, Father, and pray you'll grant them grace and strength and if it be your will, grant healing, Father. Lord, we just take this time now to open your word, and we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, be with my words. May they be honoring to you, Father. Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. I pray for those here, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in their hearts, Lord, and make your truth uh, clear to them. Lord, we just, again, thank you for this time and commit it to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, as Pastor Dave has asked me on, on occasion to preach, uh, I've been going through Ephesians, and uh, we, we find ourselves here at the, the midpoint of this uh, great letter of Ephesians. Um, now, as with uh, any letter, it's, it's meant to be read straight through. Um, as as um, I think back in the old days, uh, young teenagers would write, love letters to each other, and they would use this um, writing medium called paper and had uh, white blue lines on it, and uh, you would receive that, and they would use a writing utensil called a pencil, and I know with the technology we forget these things, but you, you, if you received that letter, you would read it straight through. You wouldn't skip to the middle of it, and um, you would read all the way through, you'd read it a couple times, and and then you would keep that letter, and then maybe you would read certain portions of it. But you always read that letter in context. This, uh, this letter of Ephesians is a tremendous, wonderful letter. And I know we're picking up kind of midpoint here. And so just to give you some, some context here, um, uh, this letter written by the Apostle Paul, uh, he has spent some three years in this uh, city of Ephesus. Um, he's uh, writing at this time under house arrest in Rome. And he uh, loved this uh, church. He planted this church by God's grace, and this uh, church grew. Uh, 
Um, this, this particular letter, Ephesians, is six chapters in it. The first three chapters uh, concern uh, doctrine. Um, the last three chapters uh, concern our duty. And uh, both are important. We need both. We both need the teaching of God's Word, but we also need uh, the practice of God's words. Oftentimes, we kind of lean, people lean towards one side or the other. Uh, some lean towards the teaching, but not the, they do not concentrate on the, the practice of God, God's Word. Others focus on the practice, but, but don't learn the, the truth of God's Word. We need a balance. We need uh, both in our lives. And we, we see this in Paul's letter here. Uh, chapters 1 through 3, we see doctrine. I'll, I'll review that uh, in, in just a minute. But here in chapter 4, verse 1, is really a transition sentence from, from, the, from the principles of God's Word to the practice of God's Word. And uh, let, me, let me just uh, read this uh, together. And uh, you'll see, I think, the, the practical nature uh, of this uh, verse of, verses of Scripture. Uh, starting in verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I've entitled this message, Walk Worthy of Your Calling. I have three points in this message, and I'll just go ahead and give you all three points up front here. The first point I would like for us to look at is uh, the plea for a worthy walk. The plea for a worthy walk. The second point, the character of a worthy walk. And lastly, the foundation of a worthy walk. First, the plea for a worthy walk. I think we see that uh, very uh, immediately there in, the, in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you. Paul is, is pleading with these Ephesian believers. He's encouraging them. He's exhorting them. He's pleading, for, uh, pl- making this plea to them to walk worthy of their, of their calling. And it's very interesting how uh, Paul uh, addresses himself. He calls himself uh, a prisoner for the Lord. But why, why does he call himself a prisoner for the Lord? Well, I think for, for one reason, uh, he is saying it's, it's worth it. Paul, no doubt, has been walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which he has been called. And look where, look where it's gotten him. He's, he's under house arrest. He uh, was this world travel, traveler who can no longer travel. He can no longer uh, pre- preach in public. He was confined under house arrest, and he's in prison. In, in prison. He's saying it's, it's all worth it to, to, to proclaim Christ, to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Uh, though he's in prison, it's still worth it to walk in this manner uh, worthy of his, of his calling. And so this is his um, uh, background here. He is in prison, but the gospel is not in prison. He's not a prisoner of Rome or a prisoner of Caesar, he's a prisoner for the Lord, a prisoner for the, for the cause of Christ. Now, I see in this verse, uh, first verse two pointers that kind of point backward to chapters 1 through 3. First, that word, um, therefore. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge, urge you. 
if, if you came in here um, in, in this room and, and I said, therefore, you need to uh, immediately exit this room, uh, you would know that you missed something because I said the word therefore. And you would want to know why we need to quietly exit this, this room. Same thing here. Paul says, I urge you, therefore, based on what I've already said in chapters 1 through 3. So we can't, we can't forget chapters 1 through 3. If we skip chapters 1 through 3, then we skip the gospel. Then Christianity is just a bunch of duties, a bunch of do's and don'ts. So we can't forget chapters 1 through 3. And now we, we can't obviously go through all of chapters 1 through 3, but I'm just going to quickly summarize. In chapters 1, we're given our spiritual bank account. Uh, in verse 3, uh, we have been blessed in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly pl- places. If you are in Christ, you are rich. Uh, if if uh, you, you may be uh, of average wealth or no wealth at all, but if you're a poor man in Christ, then you're richest then you're richer than uh, any billionaire who is without the grace of Christ. You're, you're rich. Uh, remember your uh, spiritual bank account. And it, it's laid out there uh, uh, beautifully in, in chapter uh, 1 of Ephesians. And I'll just, just pick the very first one. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In, if you are in Christ, then you were chosen by the Lord. I, I've, I've been watching the, uh, some of the Olympic trials and uh, love to watch uh, the Olympics. And um, uh, those, those athletes, for most of their lives, have been working towards uh, uh, become, being part of the Olympics. And um, it, it, for many, it comes down to that one race, 100-meter race, or one swimming event, or one dive from the platform. Uh, I was thinking of the, uh, the gymnastics. They, they, uh, they do their... The trials, and then they're they're taken into this room for about ten. They put a little timer, ten minutes, and the selection committee comes in after ten minutes and and tells them who's chosen to be in the Olympics, and 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 you see them, and there, there's uh, uh, tears of joy, of relief for those those who are chosen to be a part of the Olympics, and it's just a wonderful thing to to be a, a part of such a, a great honor as as that. In a much greater way, if we are in Christ, we we are chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, we, we need to be careful here. As I thought about that analogy uh, with, with the Olympics, uh, why are they cho- Well, they're chosen based on their performance and their skill and how they, how they uh, did in, in the trials. We're not chosen based on that. We're not chosen before the foundation of the world based on our effort, based on our, our performance. Uh, we're, we're chosen despite our performance, because if it was based on, on our performance and effort, none of us would be chosen, not, not one. And so that's why it's, it's all of grace that we are ch- chosen. Why did God choose us? He chose us because he chose to choose us. And it's all free, free grace, and as, as, as we realize this, this is a, it's, uh, uh, that's part of, uh, of this calling. Uh, uh, are we walking in a manner worthy of this calling that we were chosen before the foundation of, of the world. And, and we could go on, with, and we can't do it in, in detail, but just, just to mention a, a few, uh, what price would you put on being chosen before the foundation of the world? What price would you put on being holy and blameless before the Lord? What price would you uh, put on being adopted 
into the family of God? What price would you put on being redeemed? That is, the, the price for, for our, our sin has been paid. What price would you put on being forgiven of all your sins? Uh, what, what would you give up for that? You would not. You would never. So we, we look at this, and we see the, the nature of this calling and what is involved with this calling, and it, it's priceless. And so uh, based on this, therefore, based on this and what we looked at, uh, based on we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he made us alive uh, through Christ. I think of, uh, of Lazarus. Uh, he was dead. Uh, he was uh, holy. He was not halfway dead. He was wholly dead for four days. And, and Christ called and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he arose. In, in much the same way, we were dead. We were wholly dead, not halfway dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we were made alive together with Christ. And so as we think about, and you read through it on your own, chapters 1 through 3, based on that, is our walk in a, in a manner worthy of that calling? Now, certainly it won't, uh, it's not worthy, but are we walking in a manner, in a manner worthy? Uh, is it in line? Is, is, is our walk in a manner in accordance with? with the beauty, the worth, and the greatness of that calling. And so you can't, you can't skip chapters 1 through 3. You must remember chapters uh, 1 through 3. And so we got these pointers back uh, to um, chapters 1 through 3. I think of the, the story of uh, Alexander the Great, uh, the great uh, Greek general who, uh, all the way from Greece, uh, conquered lands all the way up uh, to, uh, through thousands of miles away east uh, to, into India. And um, this uh, soldier, this cowardly soldier, was brought before Alexander the Great and um, afraid to, 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 to fight in the, on the battlefield. And Alexander the Great asked this, this soldier, what, what's your name? And the soldier said, uh, my name is Alexander. And with great dismay, Alexander the Great said, man, uh, change your behavior or change your name. And so it is with our lives. Our lives, our walk matters. We are to walk in a manner worthy of, of the calling. How does our life line up? We should be concerned about our walk. And that's why we have chapters 4 through 6 in Ephesians. And so we have this uh, first point. We have this plea, this urgent plea um, through the Holy, uh, by the Holy Spirit through Paul to walk uh, this worthy walk. Well, the, the question immediately arises, well, what does this walk look like? It's, it's not left up for us to decide. We can, we can see uh, what that walk is going to look like. So the second point I would like for us to look at is the uh, character of our worthy walk. And so let me, let me just read it, and we can see straight away. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And here's the character, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so you see it there. It's, it's, it's not left up to doubt. We, we have here uh, what this character looks like of a worthy walk. And it's, it's, it's like a, 
just a, a parade of, of really jewels that should adorn the life of, of a, every believer. And we can, we can take each one of these in turn, and, and uh, we've heard of these things, but we need to be reminded of these things. The first one being uh, humility. We know what that is. It's, it's a lowliness of mind. It's a, a proper view of ourselves. It's a thinking lowly of ourselves. I'm not saying you think you're just dirt, uh, but uh, I heard one preacher say we're, we're decorated dirt. So we're above that. We're made in the image of God. We're a child of God. But it's, it's, it, there's still a lowliness. It's to esteem, esteem others better than ourselves. This is, this is going cross-cultural in, in our thing because the world says, uh, you, you know, you're the greatest. The greatest hero lies within you. Uh, you're the, the center of the universe. You get to decide what's, what's right and wrong, ultimately. And uh, so there's an, there's an arrogance about the culture. You live life how you want to live it. Humility is, the, of course, the opposite of pride and arrogance. And, and the devil was, was condemned for this. He was beautiful of all, uh, more than all the angels, but he exalted himself above God. The scripture says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There was a, there was a survey done, and the last, the last one I saw was in 2013. It had been done every year, uh, but it, it looked at how college freshmen viewed themselves. And it saw in that year, more than any other year beforehand, that there was this growing, exalted view of themselves, that they were great, uh, greater than, than anyone else. But in that same survey, as far as real academic achievement, it was the lowest that had it been before. There was great disparity between how someone viewed themselves and what they actually knew and could do. Is there a humility about our walk, a lowliness of mind? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If you have some great talent or gift, do you think you, you came up with that on your own? The Lord gave that to us to use it for his glory and for his kingdom. I think of uh, Philippians chapter 2, though God, uh, being in the, in the form of God, made himself of no reputation and humbled himself to the point of death. Uh, so we see this, this beginning, this characteristic is humility, a lowliness of mind. And uh, next we see is this gentleness. And so humility is like the, the disposition of our mind, and gentleness is the outward expression of this humility. There's a gentleness about us. This is a meekness. This is not some uh, wimpiness. This is not some lack of spine. This is a strength under control towards others. This is not running roughshod over uh, people who differ from us. It's a, it's a, hu- there's a humility about it. It is a respect and a kindness. Uh, I think of what uh, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Learn from me, for I am gentle. There's that word, meek and lowly of heart. Jesus had a gentleness about him. There's a humility, and it works itself out to gentleness towards other people. Next we see there is uh, patience. We don't have any problems with that, right? Lord, give me patience Right now. Lord, Lord won't, probably won't answer that one right away. Patience means to, to suffer long, to, to be willing to endure uh, to, uh, adverse circumstances that we face. And, and many of you uh, deal with those adverse circumstances now. 
And let me, let me combine that with the, the next item there, because patience is the general disposition of our heart and mind. And how does that work out towards others? It is, as it says, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. Who's, who's this one another? Bear with one another. Who's the one another? Is it, is it just anyone on the street? The context of this scripture, bear with one another in love, it's in the context of the church. Bear one another with love. Now, wait a, wait a minute. I thought, you know, we, we're all uh, good Christians, and, I mean, we, we uh, have the right attitude at all times. We always have the right word for, for each other. There's, uh, there's no time when, uh, you know, we just uh, leave someone out or uh, we never say an ill word towards each other. We have a perfect understanding of what's going on in other person's minds so that we don't say anything in an insensitive way. You know, how, how can this, why does Paul, Paul say here, bear one, one another with love? Because we do. We do mess up. We do, at times, speak that ill word, unintentional or intentional. I, I, how, how the church, I think, needs to, to have a thicker skin. How we are so uh, easily offended. And, 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 and so we were mistreated in some way, and, and, and we are. Maybe, maybe we are. And the ill word is spoken, and we're left out in some way, or someone didn't notice us, and or shake her hand, and, and so we're hurt. Uh, but do, do we think the church is comprised of perfect saints? Do, do we expect that we should always be treated perfectly 100% of the, of the time by all the people from imperfect people? Is that our expect, expectation? Well, that will be sadly... Uh, that will not happen. Um, I wonder how many have left the church, and not just in this church, but in every church, who were at one point offended in some way, and so just uh, left left the church. The easy route is to throw in the towel when something like that occurs. The harder route is to to follow what Scripture says and to bear with one another in love, to be patient when we say an ill word. I'm thankful to the Lord. I, I, I can remember one instance when I, when I said an insensitive word. I didn't realize it, but someone came to me and confronted me with that. And I, I, I thank God for that. And I'm, I'm the better for it. And I'm thankful he, took, he took, had the courage to come to me with that because he could have left the church. But he, he did not. And we bore with one another in love. Let's, let's lower expectations as far as that goes, and let's be patient with one another. This is the character of a worthy walk. There's a humility, there's a gentleness, a patience, a bearing one another, with one another in love, and this, this really culminates, if you, if you look at it, it culminates with a corporate character where there is a unity. You see it there? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If there's a, a true humility and a patience with each other, the gentleness of bearing with one another, it will result in, uh, in a maintenance of this unity of the Spirit in the bond of, in the bond of peace. If instead there's, a, there's an arrogance 
if there's a running rough shot over people and impatience and unforgiveness, then there will be division. How are our lives? Are we walking worthy of this calling? I, you know, I, I thought about this and I, 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 we're, we're not the, I'll say this, we're not the perfect church, but as I see it, there, there seems to me to be a sense of an eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I thank God for that. And I praise God for that here at Park. And, and uh, you know, I just, I think most recently about the VBS, and, and uh, I, I, just, I, just, I just see this, this humility uh, with people, you know, put me wherever you want me and I'll serve and just uh, uh, a gentleness. And I know our, you know, our patience is tried many times and, and mine was even at times. But there's a pushing through and a perseverance in that and a bearing with one another. I, you know, I didn't hear any criticisms and uh, backbiting or anything of the sort. And so to me, that was just a manifestation of the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And it was a wonderful thing to see. And so I thank God for that. Obviously, we're not perfect, and, but we, uh, I, I just was encouraged by what I saw with the Vacation Bible School. We've got to be careful, though. That we, we sense that, but we can't take it for granted. There's, there's this, this is a present imperative, eager to maintain. We continue at it, to maintain. We, we, we daily work at this, this unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And so quickly, and uh, uh, this, this is the, we have the plea for the worthy walk. A character of the worthy walk, and and my goodness, I, I see we're we're running quickly out of time here. And just lastly, and I'll, I'll just do this very briefly, but the, the foundation of a walk, and um, really, if if you look through all of Ephesians, there's this theme of unity. Our walk should, as a group, be characterized by this unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And what is the foundation of this unity? Well, let me uh, read, starting in verse four. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I cannot do it justice here with all in those two short verses. But you see that one unity, unity, there's seven ones there. And, you know, we think of seven, we think of the completeness, the perfection of God. We see uh, the unity of the Trinity. Do you see the Trinity? We serve a Trinity, Trinitarian God. He is, God is one in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is, you see there quickly, one Spirit, the Holy Spirit. There is one Lord, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, and ends with one God and, and Father of, of all. And so uh, as we manifest this unity, we're manifesting and putting on display the glory of God in his unity. Are we thinking about these things or is, is it all about ourselves? And, and we, we can go through each one in, in turn. And I'll just do it very, very briefly. Uh, one by this referring to the body of Christ. That's the church, the church universal. There is one spirit, the, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, brings us into the, to the body. It is through the body, uh, through the Spirit, that we are baptized into one body. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Uh, there is uh, one, one hope, and there's a future aspect to that. I know we often think of the glory days, and we think of the present, but I, I wonder if we don't think enough about the, what's in the future, this hope. 
um, that we have that belongs to our call. There is there's one Lord. There is one Savior, Jesus Christ. Through him and only through him uh, we are saved. He is the object of our salvation. There is uh, one faith, and I believe it refers to this, this uh, saving faith. There's, we, we, we need this faith, this faith in, in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And, and this one, bapti- one baptism, uh, I don't believe it's referring to water baptism. It's, it's a spiritual uh, bapt- baptism. We, Romans 6.3, we are baptized into Christ. And so we are united to him. There's a union with Christ. And then uh, finally there, one God and Father of all. And uh, it, 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 we would not believe it if it were not so so clearly taught in Scripture that God is our Father. If we are in Christ, God is our Father. It's, it's, Jesus taught, taught the disciples how to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so we have this wonderful privilege. And he's one Father. There's not many fathers. He's our one Father. You know what that makes us? Brothers and sisters in Christ. We are part of the household of faith, the family of God. I... Um, his name was uh, uh, Count um, Nicholas von Zinzendorf. Zinzendorf. He was born in Germany in 1700. In 1700, he was a nobleman, uh, a man of, of means, of wealth. He came to Christ at a, at a very young age. Uh, at, uh, he used to write love letters to Christ and throw them out the castle window. He was very well educated. He purchased his grandmother's estate in 1721. Um, the following year, this group called the Moravians, uh, uh, Christians, who uh, came uh, requesting the opportunity to, to live on this um, estate of Zinzendorf's. And um, first, so the first ten Moravians came to live there in 1722. This group continued to grow. Other Moravians came, others of different persuasions, Reformed or, or Anabaptist uh, faith. In five years, they grew to a... Um, into a congregation of 300 people. However, problems began to rise. There was division. There was uh, division and debate over the church liturgy, so, so over what, what happens um, during the, the church service. And so th- there was tremendous disputes on this, and so much so that Zinzendorf, he went in, left his castle, came to live in this small community um, on this uh, land of his, and started visiting from house to house. He uh, organized the church into groups of twos and uh, two or three people. And they, these small groups began meeting with each other, praying for each other, encouraging each other, um, exhorting one another. And um, what, what happened over time is these, this division began to fade. On one particular Sunday, uh, the, the pastor gave an early morning address. They, they sang this hymn, Deliver me, O God, from all my bonds and fetters. The people were just, just gripped with, um, emotion. Uh, uh, people prayed with great passion. Zinzendorf led the church in a prayer of confession. They partic- partook of the Lord's Supper. After the service, those who had been previously fighting amongst each other embraced each other and pledged to, to love one another. The residents of this little village called Hernhut um, pointed to this particular Sunday as a, as a turning point in this uh, church's life. And they began uh, um, around-the-clock prayer ministry. And so they had at least one person praying uh, alternatively around the clock, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
And uh, do you know how long this around-the-clock ministry lasted? Over 100 years. Over 100 years. And uh, God blessed this, this church, and used this church. And you see the fruit of it. These uh, Moravians became the first Protestant missionary-sending church. By the time Zinzendorf died 33 years later, they had sent some 226 missionaries out all across the world. Uh, Greenland, South Africa, Suriname, Georgia, not Georgia here, Georgia, Europe, and um, uh, just uh, so many other places. And um, one out of every 60 of these early Moravians became a missionary. The day before he died, Zinzendorf asked a friend, did you ever suppose in the beginning that the Savior would do as we now really see in the various Moravian settlements amongst the heathen? What a formidable caravan from our church already stands around the Lamb. The the next day, Zinzendorf joined this uh, heavenly caravan. Amazing story of God's grace. From division, from the point of almost dissolving this church to a great unity. How did it happen? There was a humility in prayer, seeking the Lord. There was a gentleness with each other. There was a patience. There was a bearing one another with love. And the result was this great unity in the spirit and the bond of peace. And then they were ready to be used then. And God used them mightily and to preach this gospel. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. May we be found faithful, walking in a manner worthy of this calling to which we have been called. Let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your precious Word. Your Word, Lord, we love Your Word. We're thankful for Your Word. And pray it will be true in our own life that we would examine our own lives to see if we are walking worthy in a manner of the calling which we have received with all humility, gentleness, patience. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Help us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of, in the bond of peace. Lord, I don't know how you've maybe worked in people's lives tonight, but I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just make it clear uh, how we should live our lives. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for what he did on the cross for our, for our, to pay the price for our sins and then rising from the grave. And we do praise him this morning. We pray this in His name. Amen.